You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Lowe Show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor. As I'm recording this, this is actually on January 11th, which is Monday, and this is the 10-year anniversary of the Dr. Lowe Show. It's crazy. I started on January 11th, 2011, and yeah, I just started it because it sounded like something fun to do. A friend at the time was doing a podcast, and I was just like, I could do that. That looks so much fun. And I've always been really interested in being in the media in some type of fashion. I just think it's really a fun avenue. And here we are 10 years later, I've done, I don't even know, close to 400 shows and pretty consistently. I've taken some breaks here and there, but to have made it to 10 years, it's something I'm just, I'm just really proud of. I think it's so important to celebrate all the achievements and the things that we are doing because it helps us to just continue to move in that direction. It's reached close to probably 4 million downloads at this point. Some of you listening have had incredible health transformations um, just in terms of I had a listener reverse his liver disease. You know, I've had patients have huge transformations in their hormones and, or not patients, listeners, as well as patients. Gotten to meet really incredible guests because of this. I've made just just wonderful connections from this. And also some listeners have become doctors, which is so crazy that they got inspired by it and become, became naturopathic doctors and they're now seeing patients. It's just so wonderful. And I, and I see it as a win, win, win. It's, you know, myself, obviously selfishly, I get a lot out of this. I booked a lot of patients from this show. It's a win on the, the, the guest side because they get to grow their audience and promote things that they've created. And then the listeners, it's a free resource for you guys to get free health help and inspiration. And we definitely need that right now. So yay, I am toasting to all of you, (laughs) virtual toast. And thank you, especially to those who have been listening for a while. If you've been with me since the beginning, I really appreciate you from the bottom of my heart and I don't have any plans of stopping anytime soon. So yay, yay, yay. This was one of those episodes that really caught me by surprise in terms of how much I loved it. I thought it was just a great conversation. It was really, really interesting and informative on the topic of acne, a whole different view of looking at acne that many of you probably hadn't heard of before. So I think it's going to give some really helpful, actionable takeaways for those who are dealing with this frustrating condition. So in my practice, I treat acne a lot, and I'll share a little bit more in the episode, but acne is really what led me to natural medicine. It was something I dealt with so much in high school. And so I can really empathize. And and the thing is, is that acne is not treated properly in Western medicine. And even like a lot of integrative or, you know, natural healers, really acne comes from the gut. And so if you're skipping that piece and just treating the symptoms, just treating your skin, you are missing the the whole root of the problem. And so I, I use, you know, obviously lifestyle change and diet change, but I do use a lot of supplementation with my patients to help support 
gut health and help to kind of speed the process up because it, it's not an overnight change with that. And usually if you're dealing with acne, you want change fast. You're tired of having to put on all kinds of makeup and try to camouflage this. So I wanted to share a couple of different products that I am a fan of that really get to the root of the problem, which is gut health and liver health. So Organifi, I'm sure you guys have heard of them. They have amazing greens powder. They have a bunch of other supplements. I've talked about them on the show, but there's two products in particular that they have that I'm a really big fan of for acne. So the first product is called their liver detox. And these are capsules that contain four different ingredients, Trifala, which helps with bowel movements. It has dandelion root, milk thistle, and artichoke leaf extract. These are highly researched ingredients that help to basically flush the liver and eliminate toxins that tend to cause a worsening of acne on the skin. The other product that they have that I'm a big fan of for acne is their, their Organifi Balance. This is a probiotic formula. It has 20 billion colony forming units in it, which is basically like 20 servings of yogurt in each serving without the dairy, which dairy is a big um, trigger for acne. It improves digestion and absorption of your nutrients. It helps improve your immune response. But the gut, again, is the root of acne issues, which we talk a lot more on the show. So adding this into your routine is great. And what I love about this especially is it has prebiotics in it. So these are different foods that help to feed the good bacteria. So you're not just taking a probiotic and then they die in your gut. You're actually taking the probiotic and also feeding them so that they stay around, which is specifically, it's their Jerusalem artichoke. Jerusalem artichoke is a very high uh, content food of, of prebiotics, so it just helps to make those back, new bacteria really happy in your gut. So my listeners get an awesome discount if you want to head over to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and you get 20% off if you enter Dr. Lowe at checkout, D-R-L-O, sorry, D-R-L-O-20, this new code, D-R-L-O-2-0, and you can get a discount and that's on these products or anything on their website. All right. So let's jump into the show and talk all about helping you with your acne and getting nice, clear skin. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back. We have a fun topic that is actually near and dear to my heart. Back in the day when I first had health issues in high school, I the main issue I had was acne. So I know so many of you will resonate with this. It's something I see all the time with even adult patients that feel like I should not be dealing with this anymore. So I can really empathize with you guys who do deal with this. And um, I'm hoping that we can give you a lot of tools to use and to not feel like you're in the dark on this and you can have some actionable things to hopefully help. So we have Dr. Julie Greenberg on the show. She's a licensed naturopathic doctor and she has a specialty in integrative dermatology. She's the founder of the Center for Integrative Dermatology, which is a holistic clinic that approaches skin problems with finding and treating the root cause, which is like common sense, but not always common practice. Dr. Greenberg holds degrees from Northwestern University, Stanford University, and Bastyr University. She lectures at naturopathic medical schools and she speaks at conferences across the U.S. on dermatology. She is the program chair for naturopathic and integrative dermatology series on learnskin.com, which is a 20-course CE program that discusses evidence-based alternative approaches to treating dermatological conditions. So Dr. Greenberg, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. 
Yeah, I haven't done a show directly on just acne. We've done a lot with skin health, but I just felt like this is something that we can dive a lot more into because there's so many nuances and different stages of life that deal with this. And so, yeah, I know you have a very unique perspective on this in, in terms of a dermatology, you know, specialist. So let's, um, let's dive in. But before we get onto this topic, why did you become a doctor? Why is this something that you are, that you specialize in? Yeah, so I think like many of us who pursue maybe naturopathic medicine, I had my own healthcare crisis in my 20s. That was the first time I was really dealing with anything. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, so uh, autoimmune thyroid disease. I did not feel like I was getting good answers from conventional medicine. They threw some thyroid hormone at me and the head of endocrinology at a major medical center in Los Angeles said, yeah, well, you, right, you're 27, you have this disease, we don't know what causes it, we don't know how to fix it, you're probably just going to gain more weight and get more tired, you know, over the years, take these pills, goodbye. Yeah. And I was pretty shell-shocked at that, and it set me on my own journey of trying to research and say, this just can't be it, like, this can't be right, we are the United States of America, we have all these educated doctors, like, how is that my answer? And as I started researching, I started discovering so much about our food system. And I grew up in the 80s when a healthy meal was a lean cuisine and a diet. Oh, yeah. Coke, so I was all about that. We did. <laughs> so good. You know, and we thought we were doing it right. And, um, and same with skincare products. And because I had an endocrine disorder, I started researching all the stuff that we put in our skincare products. And as women, we put over 125 chemicals on our skin a day. Crazy. And, um, so that kind of led me down the derm path. And I started making my own skincare. And then friends and family were asking me to help with like conditions they had. And I was like, well, I'm not a doctor. And, and I discovered naturopathic medicine. And that's when I was like, I should be a doctor. <laughs> I, should, right. I should be doing this. And yeah, I, I've just had a passion for dermatology since then. And I just think there's also so much room for improvement in conventional dermatology and the way we address dermatological disease. We're, we're much more about suppressing symptoms rather than getting to the root cause. Yeah. And that's now expanded into biologic um, injectable drugs for uh, diseases like psoriasis and eczema mm -hmm. or, you know, harsh drugs like Accutane for acne. And um, it just felt like naturopathic medicine could provide a lot of really different approaches. And it has, yeah, I just, I'm very passionate about it. For sure. I mean, it helps people so much. And, and as I share briefly with my own personal history, so in, in high school, I had really bad acne. I actually thought it was worse than it probably was. But when you're a teenager, it's like, you're just so just sensitive to how you look and, you know, and, and I remember going to dermatologists and asking, is there anything I can eat to make my skin look better? And they, I remember them just looking at me point blank and saying, there's no connection between your diet and what you eat. And I just knew in that moment that that wasn't true. So we'll definitely get into diet. Yes. And they would use the antibiotics, like you said, right? They were just treating the, the, the symptoms and they worked. It was amazing. I had kind of a love for antibiotics and I was put on, you know, oral antibiotics as well, which yeah, it can help with the symptoms, but it actually can worsen the issue, right? Which is a lot of times coming from the gut. So it's a very difficult cycle to be stuck in. Yes. And like you said, it's devastating for teens. It, it almost hurts. It hits at the worst possible time because teens are so vulnerable emotionally. They're trying to figure out who they are. Like there's just, they're trying to build self-confidence. And if yeah. your face is filled with acne, it's very hard to walk out and feel confident and 
I think um, people who haven't suffered with dermatological disease don't realize the emotional impact it has on people's lives. Yeah. And definitely for teens and, and also for adults. And as you talked about and alluded to, this is a huge problem for adults as well. It wasn't yeah. as much when I was growing up. It was really like, oh, this is a teenage thing and you'll grow out of it. And that was true. But now it's absolutely an adult problem. It either can be adult onset acne where I have patients coming to me like, I don't understand. I've never had acne before and now it's crazy or people never got rid of it since they were a teen. And it's not just women. As many as 50% of men and women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s continue to have low-grade persistent acne. Wow. It's really an ongoing problem. Up 12 to 25% of women in their 40s are still dealing with acne. Yeah. So this is no longer a teenage problem. Oh, it'll go away. Not at all. It's an adult problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And it gets so tied into the emotions. And, and I know so many of my patients, majority of my patients are women. I do treat some men too, but a lot of them just say to just put on so much makeup and and, uh, you know, they come to see me and I'm like, Hey, your skin doesn't look too bad. They're like, I have so much makeup on right now, you know, cause I'm just so, I have so much shame about it. Yeah. 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 So, um, let's dive into, let's kind of do it by, I guess, uh, periods of life, right? So let's start with the teenage, um, or actually let's backtrack a little bit. So what, how does normal skin kind of function and what happens that can throw it off and, and create some acne? Yeah. So we, we do have a pretty good handle on like what is actually happening in the skin. So normally acne is, is not actually a normal state of the human condition. And when I first started reading the research, it blew my mind. So if we look at indigenous cultures, people who are living, you know, in the forest, tribal lives, the, the kind of, uh, you know, if you watch National Geographic specials kind of things, mm -hmm. those people around the world do not have acne. And they've studied hundreds, thousands of people in Paraguay, in the Amazon rainforest, in Papua New Guinea, which is in the South Pacific, in Okinawa for World War II, which is a southern tip of Japan. Again and again, they study people. They've studied them for two and a half years, whole tribes, and they can't find acne in anyone. So the first thing to understand is it's definitely not a normal condition of being human. It feels that way in Western society because it's so ubiquitous everyone gets acne. I mean, if I was in a room right now with your listeners and I'd said, raise your hand if you never had a pimple, every, you know, nobody's hand would go up. Everyone's yeah. had acne. But it, when we look at these indigenous cultures, no one has acne and these cultures don't have a word for it because they've never seen it. So that's the first thing to understand is it's not normal. Something's going wrong. What is going wrong in, in the skin Generally, first, there's something called excess sebum production. Sebum is basically oil. Every hair follicle has a sebocyte or a little gland that produces sebum. And our face and neck and chest and back are high sebum producing areas, which is one of the reasons why that's where we get acne. People don't get acne on the front of their shin. There's just not enough sebum production there for that to happen. So that's the first thing that goes wrong, too much sebum production. Then the skin cells around it start going bonkers and they start overproducing as well. And then you get a clogged hair follicle. And people don't think of having hair on their face, but we do. We have hair everywhere in our body except for our lips and the palms of our hands and feet. So we definitely got little hairs. And that hair follicle gets clogged with the oil and skin. And then we can get overgrowth, either of bacteria or uh, yeast um, called malassezia. And then it can get infected and inflamed and we get those red 
bumps that we call acne. And then there's different types. So there's the nodulocystic. Those are the really painful, deep ones. Sometimes you just, you, you put your finger on it and it just is so excruciating to push on it. It doesn't even look like much at the surface, but it's never going to come to a head. And sometimes it's whiteheads or blackheads or just little pimples, but it's kind of the same thing happening, which is just an overproduction of oil and skin and getting clogged and then getting bacterial or fungal overgrowth in there. Do you find that there's unique causes depending on age of life, like maybe teenager versus women in their 30s or 40s? It's so tricky because people are always coming to me saying, oh, I have hormonal acne, which is not untrue. Right? Hormones definitely affect acne. And the reason why teens get it in such large numbers is that their hormones are going crazy. That's puberty. Puberty is a time of extreme growth and uh, hormonal production. But usually... What I find is the actual root cause of acne, what's driving it is gut dysfunction. And that is the same for male, female, or any age. So that's where I start is by going in and testing the gut and looking at what's going on and addressing those things because those things can certainly throw off hormones. And I find that really that's the root cause of all acne. And I think that's predominantly why these indigenous cultures, we don't see it. They don't have this kind of gut dysfunction or gut dysbiosis that we have in Western culture. They have hormone production, right? They have teens going through puberty. They have females who are menstruating every month. So just the fact that we have hormones and fluctuation in hormones does not mean that we're going to get acne. That's not what we see in indigenous cultures. It is what we see in our population because of the gut dysfunction. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, because women in indigenous cultures have the periods, right? They have hormones, but they're not having the acne. Right. And 65% of women in Western culture will report acne prior to onset of their cycle. So again, are hormones related? Absolutely. Yes. Hormones are involved in the production and uh, the cause of acne, but it's not the root cause because otherwise we would see every human on the planet who menstruates or goes through puberty would have acne. Mm -hmm. And that's how is it for people who aren't familiar with that connection? How is it that the gut can be related to hormones? Yeah, and it's it's a lot of it's a lot of education that I have to do because it's like, wow, well this is happening on the skin. So how is this right. happening in the gut? And so there's a whole patient education piece I do. But basically, if you think about it, we're a tube, right? The outside of the tube is our skin, and the inside of our tube is our digestive tract, and they meet. They meet in our mouth and then they meet at the end of the the other end of the tract at yeah. our anus. Um, And of course it's different, right? We have different cells on the skin and different cells in the intestine. And we have a different microbiome on our skin and a different microbiome in our gut and different parts of the gut, but it's all related. And we get a lot of inflammation that can happen in Western culture in our gut. We have something called leaky gut, which is what we really want in our gut is a very thick mucosal layer coating our entire GI tract and that protects all of our intestinal cells, which are very delicate. And right below that is our bloodstream. So we don't want a lot of gunk flowing from our digestive tract into our bloodstream. Really what we want to get through are nutrients from our food that we're digesting. We're gonna break those down into tiny pieces. And that's what we want to get through our intestines into our bloodstream so that our blood can take those nutrients out to every cell in our body. That's what we need for survival. But once we start getting 
what we call a dysfunctional gut microbiome. And that means there's too many bad guys and not enough good guys. We set up this situation of leaky gut where now things are getting through into the bloodstream that shouldn't be, like bad bacteria. They can be filled with things called endotoxins, which it's got the word toxin in it. And indeed, it sends toxins around your body. And the skin is connected to the blood, of course, to the rest of the body. This is not like saran wrap that's stuck on top and we take it off at night, right? It has a whole massive blood supply. Think of how big your skin is and there's blood right underneath all of it. And so it's gonna be impacted by what's flowing around and what kind of inflammation is is happening in the gut. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of a, a generalized question. But then as far as it goes to hormones, Hormone production is certainly affected by our gut as well. There's something in a stool test I look for. It's a marker called beta-glucuronidase. And this is a little sciencey, but in order to understand it, we have to understand the science. So when the liver is trying to get rid of things like estrogen, right? As women, we produce estrogen and the body makes decisions like, you know what, there's too much estrogen. We need to get some of this out. The liver helps us out by doing something called glucuronidation, and it takes that estrogen and it puts a glucuronic hat on it, glucuronic acid. Well, now that estrogen can be put into our poop and exit the system. That's a good thing. Then we don't get too much estrogen. Bacteria can produce something called beta-glucuronidase, which is an enzyme, which at the last minute looks at that estrogen with its glucuronic acid hat And it says, you know what? I'm going to set you free, estrogen. And it chops off that glucuronic acid. And now that estrogen is free to come out of the poo and go back into circulation. And that's one way that gut dysbiosis can affect hormones. You you can end up with too too much estrogen in your system because your body is trying to get it out and it's almost done it. And then at the last minute, that estrogen is being released and it goes back into circulation. Mm -hmm. So- Lots of different ways, but that's just one example. And would that type of process be something that you would see with more of an acne situation for that patient? I I do, yeah. Yeah. I will often see an elevated beta-glucuronidase, and then I can do things to kind of stop that process while we're treating the gut dysfunction and allowing the gut to normalize and the hormones to normalize. Right. And then if there's a situation, say, where the the woman is having a lot of constipation, right, that can cause even more of that reabsorption of the estrogen, right? And then even worse in the acne. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I I definitely want to make sure my patients are pooping at least once a day. Mm -hmm. If they're not, there's something wrong, but we also do things to help them with the pooping once a day until, you know, they normalize themselves. And then how does the liver play into this? Well, so the liver is is an organ of detoxification. That's its main job. And so Mm -hmm. our blood is constantly running through the liver. We're we're putting all the bad stuff through the liver to help us deal with it. So it will deal with toxins. It will deal with things like we talked about, trying to get out too much estrogen from your system. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we need a well-functioning liver in order to have healthy skin. It's certainly something that I think about and there's, um, as naturopathic doctors, you know, we are advanced herbalists and there's lots of beautiful, wonderful herbs that we can use for liver support as well to help with that process yeah. of detoxification. Yeah, totally. Well, a big focus of what we do as NDs is get to the root cause. So we know that the gut is the root of the problem. So let's say someone listening is going, okay, I obviously have a gut issue because I have acne. So where do I start? Let's say they're going to work with you know, someone like you or I, and they get the testing done, what, what would they kind of expect to have in terms of testing? Yeah. 
So first I say, you know, make sure that you're working with a provider who understands skin and understands gut testing. Because as you're saying, if they're not looking at your gut, they're not going to be getting to the root cause of your acne. So um, for me, I use a stool test and a urine test. Um, I like to use them together. The stool test is going to show me specifics about the bacteria in their colon or large intestine. That's where most of our bacteria is. We have about three to four pounds of bacteria in our gut. It's good, we want bacteria, we would not survive without it. And most of it is in that back end or the colon, which is where the poo comes from. So that's why the stool test is so helpful, is I can see exactly how much good stuff is there, how much bad stuff is there, what's missing. I also look at something called H. pylori, which is a stomach bug, huge connections to acne, so we can get into that in a minute. And then I also use a urine test called an organic acid test, and that will show me the fungal and mold load in the system. It doesn't always come out on the stool test, but candida mm -hmm. is often a problem with acne as well. It's interacting with H. pylori and creating biofilms. Um, so together, I get a really good picture of the gut with the stool and the urine test and kind of the, the whole world of problems that I would need to be dealing with in order to clean up the acne. Right. And that, that's really what a provider needs to be looking at. For the health providers listening, do you have any particular companies that you like to work with for the testing? Yeah, um, so for me, I like the GI map by Diagnostic mm -hmm. Solutions, and that one gives me beta-glucuronidase, that aspect we were talking about, which tells me, could they be releasing too much estrogen back into the system or too many toxins back into the system? It also gives me H. pylori, which I absolutely need to know about, in particular for acne. Um, and then for the urine test, I like the Great Plains Oat. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, those are the ones I use. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> those are my so, favorite. Cool. And then let's say you see a patient has H. pylori or, well, let me ask you, for the patients that, do you notice the most common things that show up with acne? You mentioned H. pylori. Any other ones? H. pylori and candida. Okay. So there's also, there's kind of two kinds of acne that I see. There's something called fungal acne, which is, we talked about the process of there's too much sebum, there's too much skin. Fungal acne has kind of a certain look. It's, it's like, we call them monomorphic papules. So it's like individual little white spots or red spots, but they're kind of separated. They tend to be on the forehead, around the eyes, kind of where the scalp is. And that's being driven by a yeast called malassezia. Um, it used to be called pityosporum, so it's called pityosporum folliculitis. So that's kind of a fungal acne profile. Then I know for sure they've got candida overgrowth that's driving that process. But for the typical, what we call acne vulgaris, run-of-the-mill acne, I do see H. pylori often as a huge problem. H. pylori causes problems for people because it's in the stomach. The stomach is the most acidic place in our body, and it must be acidic because we do a dangerous thing. Every time we eat and swallow, we are taking foreign matter, including bacteria, yeast, mites, bugs, all sorts of things. We swallow it and put it inside the middle of our body. Well, before it hits through our digestive tract, it's gonna hit this cauldron of acid in our stomach. And it needs to be very acidic to kill off the vast majority of these bad guys. We don't want that working through our system and potentially getting in our bloodstream. The second thing the acid does is make sure that we're fully digesting our proteins and food. We don't want them going through the system unferment, uh, unbroken down as they get fermented later on and cause problems. Well, when people have problems with H. pylori overgrowth, the H. pylori has a special skill to survive in the stomach. 
and it says, oh God, the stomach acid is making me super uncomfortable. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to lower the amount of acid that the stomach is producing, and I'm going to raise the pH or make it not so acidic because this is very uncomfortable for me. And as a result, we're not killing off everything that's dropping in the stomach. We're not digesting our proteins. Um, that's, so that's one of the ways that H. pylori causes a problem. But H. pylori and candida together, I see very often, mm. and they get together and form something called a biofilm, which bacteria can hide in. The best way to explain a biofilm is if your listeners have ever watched sci-fi and a spaceship is being attacked and, you know, the captain called shields up <laughs> and suddenly, you know, they're firing lasers, but they're bouncing off this invisible shield. That's kind of what a biofilm is. And we know that bacteria and yeast and all of these things can create biofilms in our system. Then our body has a tough time recognizing and attacking them. So it really is like they're putting up an invisible shield. So I got to go in and deal with the H. pylori, the candida, the biofilms, and there's usually a lot of bacterial overgrowth that happens as well. So I need to see what's going on and then just clean up the issues one by one. What a cool visual. That's awesome. I'm going to have to steal that for patients. <laughs> so, and then I would think that in terms of like conventional treatment, just going on antibiotics, that really could make this so much worse, right? Because it's making the yeast issue worse. It's, uh, if there's leaky gut, which oftentimes there is, it's, it's worsening that right? Yeah. So the interesting thing about antibiotics is, so there it's low dose antibiotics for acne. It's not, it's not when you think of like, oh, I have an infection and I need to take an antibiotic. Those are, those are like normal high dose for infection. Acne is low dose antibiotics. And for a long time, dermatologists didn't really even know how it was working. So if you ask them now, most dermatologists are going to say, well, it's anti-inflammatory, which is kind of true, but they still couldn't really explain to you why it's anti-inflammatory. The doses aren't high enough to kill bacteria. So it's not that. It's not that it's killing the bacteria in huge amounts and that's what's doing it. There's something, again, to get a little sciencey called the mTOR pathway, which is a growth pathway in every cell. Of course, mTOR is super ramped up in puberty because what is puberty? It's a time of incredible growth, right? We're taking a child or an adolescent and turning them into an adult and to grow all of these breasts and hips and gonads and hair and all of this stuff to fill out is a time of massive growth. So mTOR is, is kind of jacked up, but the body's supposed to be able to regulate mTOR and be like, yeah, we want to go through puberty, but not too much. Well, there's something that is the, the thing that regulates or puts the brakes on mTOR and it's called FOX01. And what they have found is that the antibiotics actually affect box 01. They help upregulate it. So we actually think that the antibiotics are helping to calm down this mTOR pathway. And it's not through an antimicrobial way that they're working, hmm. which is, it's also, they found that with Accutane. We know Accutane kills uh, the sebocytes or the things that produce sebum, which is why Accutane can help with acne, but it is also affecting mTOR pathway by increasing FOXO1 and putting the brakes on it. So we're learning a lot about conventional medicine. It's not working in the way we thought. I definitely do not like the treatment of acne with ongoing antibiotics, because as you said, it, it is going into the gut and it's messing with your microbiome. And absolutely, I think every woman who's had a vaginal yeast infection knows if you take antibiotics, you run the risk of getting a vaginal yeast infection. Why? Because an antibiotic is going to go off and exclusively kill off bacteria. Well, 
Well, there is a very fierce competition for real estate going on in all of our guts. It is, it is a hot commodity. And when, it, when we take an antibiotic and it kills something off, everything that's left behind looks around and goes, land grab, you know, tries to fill in and grow and get that space. And Candida yeah. will definitely do that. And that's when we see Candida's overgrown in the gut, a woman's taken antibiotics and suddenly she's got a vaginal yeast infection. Right. The, the same thing can happen in the gut and you won't get a vaginal yeast infection, but you might not realize that Candida is blooming in your system and it definitely happens. So yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of um, antibiotics for the treatment of acne. I am a fan of antibiotics for the treatment of certain skin infections and other infections sometimes mm -hmm. are necessary. Sure, but not, that makes not for sense. acne. And the minute you stop it, the acne will just bloom right again. So right. it's not like affected any root causes at all. Yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. So, so let's say, a, okay, so let's say for a teenager who's taking the antibiotics and it's, it's working because it's suppressing the mTOR, I guess they wouldn't, would they not have the issue if there wasn't a gut issue though? Right. Yeah. Right. There, okay. There's something wrong. You're not right. having acne if you're not having gut issues. Correct. So is there a way to help calm that mTOR naturally that wouldn't require an antibiotic or is it really just the answer is address the gut issue and then the mTOR won't be a problem? Well, that's for sure. But there's other drivers of mTOR that we can control. So another thing that varies greatly between indigenous cultures and Western population is our diet. We are extremely deficient in fiber and we're very high in meat, dairy, and sugar. The three main things that drive the mTOR pathway forward are meat, dairy, and sugar. So mm -hmm. we have created a diet that when combined with puberty, you know, is the perfect thing to make mTOR go absolutely bonkers. Um, meat contains an amino acid called leucine. That is absolutely a driver of mTOR. It tells mTOR, hey, time to crank it up. Dairy for sure pushes on mTOR. And if you think about it for a minute, it makes sense because dairy What's the point of dairy, right? Why does dairy exist on the planet? To help with developing babies or animals. Exactly. It's yeah. to make baby mammals grow really fast because if a baby mammal does not grow like a weed, it's going to die. And yeah. milk is there to push. It has growth hormones and insulin and all sorts of things. So it's there to tell mTOR, hey, this is a life-threatening situation. If this baby doesn't grow like a weed now, and put on massive amounts of weight and grow, 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 it's not going to make it. And, but the problem is we continue to eat dairy into adulthood and we, you know, drink milk of a different species. So our body is getting the message like, Hey, mTOR, you got to go crazy. And so every time we eat dairy or cheese, it's pushing on mTOR and sugar does the same thing. It's, it's also telling the body, we have a ton of resources, time to grow. The good news is that the kind of things that put the brake on mTOR are from plants. So pomegranate will put the brake on it. Quercetin, which is something that like apples and onions are high in quercetin. We use quercetin a lot in naturopathic medicine. Green tea or EGCG, resveratrol, curcumin, all of these like nice uh, phytochemicals and phytonutrients from plants, they help calm mTOR down and put the brakes on it. Hmm. And so that's also one of the fundamental differences between us and indigenous cultures they are eating 50, 100 grams of fiber a day. They are not eating high quantities of sugar and meat. They're usually having zero dairy. And so their mTOR pathway stays in control even through puberty, whereas That's ours so get completely pushed out of whack.
I'm thinking of my patients who are bodybuilders, you know, especially the ladies, right? So they're doing, and I, I was thinking it was more like a testosterone issue because that, you know, obviously the hormone connection with that, but it makes sense to me. It's probably just a lot of protein driving that, that mTOR. Yeah. And it, yeah. so it can be testosterone every once in a while. If, if my patients are like PCOS or right. they have signs of what we call hyperandrogenism, which is kind of these male signs of all this hair growth um, on their face, on their nipples, um, they're not getting their periods. I may do a testing to see if, they, if their testosterone is too high, but there's a couple things with that. Very often their, their systemic or their whole body levels of testosterone are very normal. But what happens is at the hair follicle level, we have what are called androgen receptors. So at the hair follicle, we have little receptors waiting for androgens and like testosterone or DHT, dihydrotestosterone, which is like super testosterone. And it can kind of be just overactive just at the follicle level. So it's not that they have too much testosterone running throughout their body. It's at that level in their face, it's been jacked up and that some people will be like, I keep getting the same terrible, you know, zit in the same spot. <laughs> that follicle has developed perhaps, you know, an over uh, affinity for androgens and it's just pulling in too much testosterone, which it fuels mTOR. mTOR mm -hmm. and testosterone kind of get in this special cycle where they start fueling each other. So it's not always that it's a systemic level. It can be happening just at that skin follicle level. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Would that be a, a good situation for doing maybe like topical, like spironolactone or something? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of doctors will use topical spironolactone. I, I don't tend to use that because again, I'm trying to like more get to the root cause and, mm -hmm. and the underlying system. But topical spironolactone can be effective for that type of acne where- right is overactive androgen. But don't forget the gut. Don't forget the gut. Exactly. Let's give some tools to folks of what they can do about it. And then we'll shift gears and do kind of a rapid fire with like social media questions because we had quite a few come through. Okay. Um, so let's say for someone listening, maybe they can't afford to see an ND and do all the testing and everything, um, but they're dealing with some acne issues. Um, what would be some things that they can do? Obviously changing diet. What, what are some other things they can do? Yeah. I mean, I would say the number one thing is you do need to look at your diet, right? You need to get out high levels of the meat, the dairy, and the sugar, and you need to fill your diet with fiber. So the average American gets about 15 grams of fiber a day. The U.S. recommended daily allowance is 25 grams of fiber a day. As a naturopathic doctor, I have my patients aim for at least 35 grams of fiber a day. It's a lot of fiber for what we're used to in the American diet, but the reason it's so necessary is that is the food of the good gut bacteria. And you are what you eat because you are what you feed. So if we aren't eating at least 35 grams of fiber a day, those good gut bacteria, they're not gonna win out in that fight for real estate in our gut. And the other guys, the candida who eats sugar and refined carbs and bad bacteria who feed off of meat, those are the guys that are going to win. So we have to have a lot of fiber in the diet. What are some favorite that, sources of fiber that you like? So some high ticket items are things like chia seeds and beans. Like one cup of beans can be like 11 or 12 grams of fiber. Mm -hmm. So that can get you one third of the way to your daily target. Um, and chia is rich, but you know, it's also the diversity of vegetables. So I don't want people eating the same thing day in and day out because we need a diverse, a lot of different types of good bacteria in our gut to be healthy. 
So we have to eat a lot of different types of fiber. So I tell patients to aim for 30 different plants a week, which sounds like a lot, but herbs, spices, and teas count. So I talk about, look, if you're, let's say you're gonna make a beautiful grass-fed hamburger. What you're gonna do is in that ground patty, you're gonna put onions, garlic, rosemary, sage, and thyme. You just added five different plants to your weekly total of 30 and you were eating a hamburger. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's ways to get it in. You just have to make sure that you've, you know, got the vegetables at every meal. So that that's the baseline, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. the second is I do think once there is this level of gut dysfunction, once there is H. pylori and candida, you're going to need some treatment. You're going to need pharmaceutical or herbal treatment and you can't it's not appropriate for patients to self-direct this there's so much misinformation on the internet and i think patients can get into dangerous territory trying to do it themselves so what i would encourage uh, patients to find a licensed professional who knows how to treat and prescribe herbal or pharmaceutical supplement you know products that are going to address these yeah um but there's also things that they can do topically for the skin. So this, just as our stomach acid needs to be acidic, our skin actually needs to be acidic to be healthy. And there's lots of beautiful um, natural botanicals you can use on your skin that will help correct and pull down the pH of your skin so that it can be healthy. Some of my favorite topicals are aloe vera gel, um, things like hydrosols. Hydrosols are water-based products that are created in the process of making essential oils. So again, essential oils is the kind of thing I don't want patients using on their own without guidance because they are concentrated, potentially dangerous topicals, but hydrosols are gentle yet powerful um, botanicals that anyone can use. You can use it on babies, you can use it on pets. And when you spray your face with that, it is a little bit antimicrobial. And again, it pulls the skin pH down to acidic where it needs to be to be healthy. Um, so I like to use natural products on the face to help uh, with the acne while we're treating the gut. Do you have any particular favorite brands for hydrosols? So there's a, a company based in Southern Oregon called Mountain Rose Herbs. I think they have very high quality products. I like their hydrosols a lot. I, I love rosemary hydrosol. I use it a lot. And there's not that many companies that make it, but they make a beautiful rosemary hydrosol. So they're, they're one of my go-tos for hydrosol. And they have a great aloe vera gel as well. Love it. So before we jump into the rapid fire social media questions, I'd love to know what's kind of a typical day for you of what you might eat, a day that you're proud of for nutrition. <laughs> I know yeah. we're not always perfect. So I think breakfast is where a lot of Americans go wrong in terms of for us, like the standard American breakfast is actually dessert. So if you're looking at something like cereal, right, right it's grain and milk, it's pretty high carb, it's dairy, um, it's all those things that are going to drive acne. So for me, I'm a little bit of an in- intermittent faster, so I don't usually yeah. eat breakfast. But if I do, it's not that different from what I would eat from lunch or, or dinner. My body doesn't change its nutritional requirements just because it's 9 a.m. versus you know 6 p.m. So a typical day for me for lunch, I like a big salad. So I chop up you know, anywhere, probably around eight different vegetables, and I might put a little bit of protein in there. And then I use avocado oil and vinegar you know, with salt, pepper, and, and stuff as dressing. And it's the kind of thing where like, once you start eating a big salad every day, your body will really crave it. Like, yeah, if I go days without my big salad, I'm like, 
it's like the Seinfeld episode for all, for your older listeners out there. But it's like I just want a big salad. Like yeah. you go crave it. Um, and then snacks are like nuts. Um, you know things like that. I, I like snacking on nuts. And then dinner is I, I I tend to go low grain and I like to do high veggie and protein. Mm-hmm. So it could be anything with you know stir fry like chopping up bok choy and napa cabbage and mushrooms and sauteing it and you know, beef, chicken, I, I eat all that stuff. So I, I am a carnivore. Um, I tend to try, I try not to eat uh, very much, many grains, um, yeah. gluten-free and dairy-free. So yeah. it's heavy on veggies. And, and I would say that I tell patients to aim for half the plate. When you sit down to eat your meal, half the plate should be vegetables. A quarter of the plate should be protein or grains. About 20% of the plate should be healthy fats and no more than 5% hopefully on the sweet treat action. So, yeah. but it is my birthday today. So oh, happy birthday! and eating everything I normally don't eat today, but it's my one day of the year. Oh my gosh. I feel so, you are so cute. You didn't even say that until right now. Come on. <laughs> That's crazy. My birthday is in 20 days. I'm turning 40. So, oh my God. Uh, I'm 49 today. Wow. So. Happy birthday. And I feel Thanks. so lucky that you spent your birthday with us. That's so yes. cool. Wow. But that really is awesome. Well, I hope you have an awesome birthday. Let's see. What do you, I'm just asking selfishly, what do you think about like bulletproof coffee or bulletproof tea, that type of thing? Um, You know, I know you're not a big fan of dairy, but what about doing like maybe grass fed butter or ghee? Yeah. So ghee, I I actually use ghee. By by the time you get to ghee, most of the whey and casein protein, which is what a lot of people will have problems with, is, is not in the ghee. So um, I think ghee is fine. Butter, you're getting a little more of those proteins. So I think it depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, part of my intermittent fasting is I just drink black, black coffee in the morning, but mm-hmm. I think it depends on the individual. Yeah. You can put coconut milk in your coffee. I mean, uh, coconut oil in the coffee, which sounds a little gross at first, but I used to do that and it actually is pretty filling. Yeah. So, you is. know, I think it depends on the individual and what they need, but you know, I like, I like the intermittent fasting. Um, yeah, I've been doing it too. I've lost like 25 pounds in the last four yeah. or five months. So yeah. It makes um, a big difference. It does. Okay. Rapid fire social media, and then we'll let you go so you can enjoy the rest of your birthday. So, um, and a lot of these you already answered. So one of them was anything, oh, anything good for acne scars. Yeah. So with, I, what I counsel patients is don't start focusing on your acne scars until we have your acne gone. Because I find patients who will spend a lot of money on acne scar treatments, but as long as they're still having acne, it's really money wasted because the inflammation, the problem on the skin, it's just going to drive more stuff. So first of all, don't waste your time with acne scar stuff until you've gotten rid of the acne. So that's first. Sounds good. Second is there's a lot of different ways to go. Of course, depending on the severity of the acne scarring, is it hypopigmentation? Is it pitting? And you know how much money somebody has. Um, again, once the acne is completely gone, I do have patients who have had a lot of success with PRP, which is microneedling. For your patients who don't know what that is, uh, they will take your blood, they're going to spin it out and pull out some special stuff from your blood that will help the skin. Then they numb your face and they run lots of tiny needles over it. It's if you've ever heard of the vampire facial, that's kind of it. And we poke tiny little holes in the skin to kind of cause little what we call micro traumas. And then you paint it with that stuff that you got from somebody's blood. The good news about that is it's your own, it's your own stuff. So it's not like you're putting something foreign, you know, into the skin, your body's not going to react against it because it came from you. 
And those little tiny micro traumas combined with this good stuff from your blood can help your body come take a look and say, oh, you know, we need to do some repair here. So a lot of people, you have to have multiple sessions and they're not cheap. I do find patients have some good experiences with microneedling. There's laser treatments. Um, there's topical things. So niacinamide and zinc are products that I like for the skin. Mm -hmm. um, niacinamide is a form of vitamin B3, niacin. It's very healing to the skin. I also use niacinamide and zinc while we're treating topically as well to deal with acne, but it's good for scarring and hyperpigmentation as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are topical things that you can use and there are physical treatments, which are, are of course a lot of pocket and, you know, can cost a lot of money. They can be useful. And, yeah. and sometimes it's just time. If you have a 16 year old, again, if it wasn't too bad, they're already going through a lot of growth and repair. And sometimes if you, once you just give their skin a break from the inflammation, it will start to heal itself. Yeah. Well, I can say from my experience, I had acne in, in high school. I did Accutane. I did all the stuff and I ended up having a decent amount of scars. And in, in my um, early thirties, I did a lot of the lasers and that did help. So, yeah. I mean, they're not cheap. I did, I think they're called Pixel or Fraxel? Yeah, there's Fraxel. Fraxel yeah. I think I did three or four treatments, but yeah, my, my acne scars are much, much better. What I do have though are very large pores. Do you have any tips for large pores or is it kind of like you're just stuck with it? I do feel like genetically it's a thing. My parents both have them, but I do think the acne definitely worsened it. Yeah. I mean, so some of it is, you know, going to be genetic. I think again, using the natural botanicals on the face. You can use things that are astringent like apple cider vinegar or you know natural toners with like witch hazel and mm -hmm. hydrosols. So sometimes that kind of stuff can help. I, I use and make like uh, face serums with essential oils, but again, you need mm -hmm. to buy from somebody who knows what they're doing for that. Yeah. Um, and all of, all of that can really absolutely improve the skin. As part of my hypothyroidism, I was getting very thick like man beard hair growth on my chin. And I was then I was getting a lot of acne on the chin and jawline. And um, it had been going on for years before we discovered that it was hypothyroidism. So I was just plucking and attacking it. Oh. It caused scarring, but really once, again, once the hypothyroidism cleaned up and once that stuff was no longer a problem, I remember my um, electrolysis person was saying like, oh, that's never going to heal. But with the natural botanicals, it healed. My, my face has no scarring whatsoever. Love so. it. So there. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on using tretinoin while healing my gut? Is there a similar natural medicine? So, and just to be clear for our patients, there's isotretinoin and tretinoin. Isotretinoin is really Accutane doesn't exist anymore, but we still call it Accutane. So isotretinoin is what we're saying, Accutane, that's the oral high dose kind of derivative of vitamin A. So that's a very different thing than topical tretinoin, which is a vitamin A derivative people put on their skin. I think it depends. Tretinoin can be very drying and irritating for people. So I think it, it kind of just depends on how they're handling it. I don't have like a fundamental problem with it. It's not like for me, like taking, you know, antibiotics for acne or something. Usually I pull my patients off it and we go for these natural botanical kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but if they really want to continue with it, I, I don't have a fundamental problem. They're, they're hopefully not going to need it eventually, but it's just mm -hmm. drying up what we talked about, the sebocytes or the glands that produce the sebum. That's, that's what the tretinoin is trying to do. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen this, but I've, I've had patients use oral vitamin A and have had some pre pretty good results, but I always like to test. And obviously if they're pregnant or any liver disease, we don't do that. I've seen some good, good effects on the skin with that, especially with acne. 
Um, let's yeah, I, I don't use high dose vitamin A, but it is similar to the isotretinoin path, mm -hmm. which is, is trying to dry up and kill seed sites. Right, exactly. Tips on preventing cystic acne. Is it just going back to what you said, avoiding the foods and really working on the gut, adding in some fiber? Yep, it's yep. all the same thing. The, the tough part about cystic acne is it's harder to get to topically, right? Because it's below the skin and much, a lot of these nodulocystic acne, the nodulo being those nodules that you feel that lump with your finger, it's so painful under the skin. Topicals are not going to get through to it. And so that makes it harder to treat as opposed to a whitehead which you know you can pop and you can get out and it's a much less big deal. So you really, really have to treat the gut with nodulocystic acne. You're not gonna get it topically. It just stuff can't get down to the level where it's at. And it's such a clogged mess of sebum and skin and bacteria or fungus. You have to treat the gut in that yeah. case. Yeah, yep. I had a question here, how to make acne stop? I've tried everything, no sugar, supplements, hormone balance. And yeah, it's just going back to, okay, get the testing done. Let's look at the gut and then yep. likely treating the the dysbiosis. Yeah. Um, okay. I think we pretty much answered this. One of them was, what does it mean when your acne gets better with antibiotics? Is it infection acne? And I think it would, like you said, go back to that mTOR pathway, right? So yeah, yep. that's everything. This was awesome. This is such a good episode. Anything else you think we should touch on? Or, I mean, we've, we've given people so much information. Yeah, I know there's, there's a lot of information. You talked at the beginning about a series that I did on LearnSkin.com called the Naturopathic and Integrative Dermatology Series. It's yeah. a 20 series. It is meant uh, for doctors and healthcare providers, but the series is free. And I'm, I, a lot of my patients, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are wanting to find the root cause. They actually want to learn some of the science behind it. So if they're interested, they can head over to Learn Skin and do a search for the Naturopathic and Integrative Dermatology Series or do a search for my name, Dr. Julie Greenberg. And there are courses in there on acne. There's a whole course on acne in the mTOR pathway. There's a course on gut dysbiosis and skin health, on skin pH and skin health. So all of these things I've talked about, they can go read for free. And of course, um, if you're a doctor or a licensed healthcare professional, you can get CE credit for doing them. That's I love um, it. Yeah. So that might help. Um, they can go to my website, which is integrativedermatologycenter.com. You know, I have some information there on acne. I can treat patients in California, Oregon, and Washington. So if your listeners are located in those states, you can contact me. If you're out of those states, you can contact me and, and maybe I'll know of somebody who can help you in other states, but not always. Sounds good. Well, I so appreciate it. I have a lot of Brainiac listeners, so I'm sure even if they're not health providers, they'll want to look into your course and learn all this for themselves. And then they can school their own dermatologist, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, especially on your birthday and sharing all your knowledge with us. And I look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Lowe Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.